0: Hello, and welcome to my lecture series. My name is Nick Lugo, and thank you for being here. Before we get started, I just want to give an explanation or a reminder as to why you're here and why I do these lectures in the first place. It may seem true to you that the reason to come to one of these lectures, or a lecture in general, is to learn. And you wouldn't be wrong, but it's much more than that. You're here to act. The learning part is obvious, but not the acting. Often, I, more than anybody else, know how to act, but simply just don't act. For example, it's not a groundbreaking discovery that going to the gym is important. This is something that we all know. Yet, the hardest part is, and I'll say it again, action. As you know, the lectures that I'll take you through are hero stories, and there is much to learn from them. Therefore, The first lesson to learn from these stories and these movies is a simple one. One that you already know. Heroes follow their heart. They don't think about following their heart. It is action that separates the heroes from the rest. The goal of this lecture is to facilitate thought and action as the two are so desperately intertwined. Therefore I make this statement that I say with absolute conviction. If this lecture series does not change the actions you take in this world, then I have failed you. This idea of action is one that I explore with incredible depth in these lectures. Finally, if you're looking for a more direct way to act, I suggest you check out my new book, Breaking Your Bad Habits in 150 Pages, A Hero's Journey. My book takes these abstract lessons and applies them directly to you and any bad habit or human weakness that you might be struggling with. I place you in the shoes of a hero and show you how to be both a thinker and a doer, all in 150 pages for those of you who don't consider themselves readers. You can find the book on Amazon by searching it or by clicking the link in this video. Now, let's get on to the lecture. Alright, hello everybody and welcome. This is the Beauty and the Beast lecture. I am Nick Lugo and I'll be taking you through essentially what beauty and the beast means because i don't think i think we watch these movies and then we really we get a glimpse of what they mean you know like there's there's the one main message that they try to send out but there's so many deeper levels behind this and well this is the tale as old as time you know this is this movie is actually this fairy tale is i think 4000 years old that we know of and um and it's been passed down through the centuries. So there's actually something true in that statement, right? Like there's, this is the tale as old as time. There's something true in this, and this can be broken down in so many levels. So that's what I'm gonna be doing. Um, hopefully, hopefully by the end of this, you could sort of, you know, take out some sort of lesson, right? So the the idea behind Beauty and the Beast, and this is what really attracted me to it. Tale as old as time, true as it can be right and what does that mean right when someone says someone makes the claim that it's as true as it can be they're actually making the claim that this is real right like a fairy tale is real and well i've been trying to parse up you know trying to make sense of that statement and what they're really trying to say is that this is actually something that applies to real life and this actually um this is not just a fairy tale this is real this is this is um, you could use the, these lessons in your life. And, um, and I'm going to put that to the test here. And, um, I've extracted multiple life lessons, multiple psychological aspects of this movie. And, um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully that, uh, you could take the lessons here. And I know I certainly have been, you know, um, been mulling over these lessons for a while, you know, but, um, Hopefully you could take these lessons and actually apply them to your life and actually use them to make your life better. Because that's actually the purpose of why we have stories, you know, and um, and it's really it's really, really funny because, you know, I have I have one friend and she is literally bell incarnate. Right. Like she is literally Belle. And then I have another, you know, she's dating some guy and he's the representation of the beast. And they're literally Beauty and the Beast, like incarnate. And I'm watching it play out. and It's actually incredible. So the thing that I'm learning as as I sort of go through these movies and as I sort of go through this entire lecture series is that these stories manifest themselves in real life. Right. The reason why we have these stories is because maybe it's the other way around. Maybe it's because it's happened so many damn times in real life that somebody decided, okay, let's put them all together and just throw a story out. And because so many people can relate to it, therefore, um, it's as true as it can be. So let's get started, and let's get started going right off that fact. If you, It depends who you want to be in this story, but Belle is you. If you believe that you identify with Belle, right, if you like this story, hopefully you're watching this because you like this story. If you like this story because you, you know, um, obviously are a woman probably looking for a romantic relationship, Belle is you. And this is a story about how you can, um, we'll say, go on a heroine's journey. Because that's literally, this entire story is a heroine's journey. How to take a uncivilized man and civilize him, right? and then the beast is you right if you if you want to uh look at yourself from that perspective sort of the masculine perspective right if you are um we'll say uncivilized or not mature not mature is a good way of saying it so if you if you aren't the person that you want to be yet if you aren't we'll say the typical hero you know who's ascended to the top of of masculinity and all these things which is um we'll say the goal of maturity, right? Hopefully the goal of maturity is to develop a strong sense of self to, to to grow up and develop responsibilities, right? Like that's a good sum of what a good adult is. And if you have not done that yet, then, um, well, the answer here is maybe a woman can help you do that. And also, you know, here's the developmental process that you're going to have to go through because the beast sort of go through is a little hero's journey here and you'll be able to see it. And then to sum it all together, right, this is your world, right? This entire, um, the entire purpose of this book, right, of this movie, right, is really to take yourself and place you in there, right? Like you're not a passive person watching the screen because that's not actually how you view it, right? We identify with these characters. Actually, if you were to take an MRI scan of, if I, if I, actually, I don't know if it plays out through a screen, but when I tell a story and you're sitting across from me, when I'm telling that story, our brainwaves match. We actually, like, you could actually match our brainwaves and say that we are on the same wavelength, right? Wavelength's a. a it's a casual term, but you know, we're on the same level, right? We're literally, it's as if you're placing yourself in my story. It's as if you're matching me to, to step inside of my story to understand it as, as well as you can. And that's exactly what we do with these stories. We're not actually passively watching these stories. We're stepping into this world and we're embodying one of the characters, which is typically the main character. So it depends who you want to be, but you could, you already have chosen. This isn't something that you could consciously choose. You are bell or you are the beast. And all you have to do, if you really want to get some life lessons out of this, if you really want to understand this, pretend like this is actually you don't pretend like you're a passive person sitting behind. So, I mean, I, per, I personally, I see myself as the beast, you know, obviously, um, I still have development left to do. And, um, and I find that I find that seeing myself as a beast could actually say, OK, where do I identify most with the beast? And obviously it doesn't have to be the freaking hair growing from my face or, you know, or the claws. But where does my personality match the personality of the beast? And um, and what paths does he take to grow himself? Right. And that's the um. that's. That's why we have stories. We have stories so that you can grow from them. We have stories so that you can take someone who has achieved success or failure and learn from them, right? That's exactly what we're going to do here. But the only way that you could do that or at least the most efficient way in my estimation is to place yourself in the world, right? Place yourself in the world of of we'll say this this faraway land and pretend like it's actually you. So, that's my spiel to get started. Let's get into the characters. So the first person that we meet is, and by the way, I liked, I really liked the original version of Beauty and the Beast. And I really liked the new version. The reason why I'm going with the new version is because first of all, it's newer, right? So it's, it has a little bit more appeal to it. And also it's really, really like they hit the archetypes a lot better, right? They did a good job of hitting the archetypes. So, um, so they're a little bit more explicit in the way that they in the way that they have it instead of just being completely encoded. So that's what it, um that's why I use the the new one. But I'll also be I'll be flipping back and forth between the old and the new one. Some some different screenshots and stuff like that. So we have this guy right, and this guy is a prince right. This is how it begins. So. Here's a good representation of him. Before I even before I even get started, here's the representation of the prince, right? Obviously a little bit, you know, weird with the makeup or whatever. And he's sitting on his little golden throne. And um and the perfect representation of him is somebody who is undeveloped and immature, right? And spoiled. Spoiled is a good way of putting it, right? Like he has seen the we'll say the entire aspect of of the good life and because he's seen the good life he literally just has no um he has no desire to mature right and and the thing is he's always got what he wanted so he never really had to strive for something that was meaningful right it's like why go on a hero's journey if you have all that you ever needed which hey listen that's a good that's good reasoning right that that actually makes sense so Um, and that's why people are spoiled, right? We look at that and we ask, why are we all spoiled? And, um, and well, that's the reason why. And, you know, I know there's different degrees of, of people being spoiled, but I mean, I find myself somewhat spoiled. I find that, you know, society in general is somewhat spoiled, right? Like you, you see, you look around and you say that, you know, the basic human needs are like food, water, and shelter and, um. We have the we have an abundance of food. We have abundance of water, and we have abundance of shelter. So it's like we literally, we literally, in our society, have like, we're from an evolutionary perspective, from a biological biological perspective, we are literally as spoiled as can be. In well, the problem with that is, and this is the main problem with guys that I see today, right? This is the main problem that I see with essentially all my friends, you know. If you were a hunter, right? 100,000 years ago, 200,000 years ago, you had a set purpose in life. Your purpose in life was determined for you. And what was it? It was, oh yeah, you know, I am going to hunt, right? I'm going to hunt. I'm going to protect my tribe from from jaguars and lions and all of these things. And, um, and that's it. I'm going to do that every single day, right? And then I'm going to have a kid and then I'm going to propagate the species, right? Like that's the goal. That's your set purpose, right? But and, and, but th- and that, that makes life easier because you don't have to figure it out yourself, right? You don't have to um, go through this rigorous, difficult process that we have to go through in society of what is my purpose in life? What do I actually have to, um, what will give my life meaning, you know, because bring food home for your family is meaningful, right? And that's something that hunters and gatherers did, you know, and, um, well, now you ask the question, it says, okay, now we have an abundance of food, right? Obviously, this is mostly as children, but this this goes for adults too. You know, we have an abundance of food, we have abundance of shelter, we have abundance of water. It's like an abundance of safety, right? That's another thing. Like you, we don't have jaguars coming in and, and tearing apart our, our children and our friends, you know? So we have these things and now we're left with this whole of okay what is my meaning in life what is it that i have to do to make my life meaningful and you know this the, this prince is the representation of someone who hasn't figured that out yet he's the representation of peter pan you know peter pan is is a really good um he's a really good representation because this is you right peter pan is a representation of you if you are undeveloped he's a child who lives in never in neverland right a place that is you know obviously far off and um and it's now part of this world. And the reason why his name is Peter Pan, right? Pan means everything, right? Pan means that um, essentially he has the potential to be everything, right? He hasn't chosen one specific path. He hasn't chosen one specific purpose. He just decides that he's going to remain as everything. and um, And that means that he hasn't pursued any sort of potential you know one of the greatest um one of the greatest phrases quotes that i've ever heard is you don't want potential written on your tombstone right and that that really makes sense to me like that really really hits because well you know we sit there as kids and we say that we're going to cure cancer we say we're going to be part of the mlb we say we're going to be the next sports player astronaut all these things and that's our potential but the question is you know and this, this is the most difficult question. It's like, okay, you could, you could create any plan. You could create any structure of who you want to be and what you want to do. The hardest part is actually going out and doing it. You know, like that's, that's the thing that's incredibly, incredibly difficult. And this is the, we'll say the, the fundamental problem that humans, that men have been struggling with for a while. And particularly women, women too. But the, the thing about women is that women, they have this set path, right? Of, I could be a mother. Like I always have this this thing to fall back on, which is being a mother. For men it's not so simple, you know. You could say that that's sort of misogynistic, right? But the it's actually worse for men, right? It's it's actually worse for men, you know. In in history, as you go across, um across all time, right? 80% of women were reproductively successful, right? Because, well, you have people like Will Chamberlain, right? Will Chamberlain had sex with over Twenty thousand women. Right. And um, and obviously, you know, why would he not want to spread his seed everywhere, you know, and and pass on his his species, uh, pass on his genes to the next um, to the to the next generation? Only 40 percent of men were successful. Right. So two times the amount of women were successful as compared to men. And that's because you have the men that are like Wilt Chamberlain, right? The ones who have pursued their potential and followed their dreams and have done all the things that they need to do. We'll call them the alphas, right? And then you have the other 60% who literally just fall out of the gene pool and, um, and they're unsuccessful, right? Like they haven't developed. We'll say they're the representation of Pan, right? They're the representation of this, um, this prince, because he literally has never pursued anything, and is just sort of, you know, there's nothing really special about him, and um, and they are just undeveloped, immature people, right? And then they never have access to sex. So you have, they never have access yet to sex and then to propag- propagating the species. That's sexual selection theory. So the thing is, women have a set path for them, and you might say that's misogynistic, but I say that. Men just have no path for them. They literally have no path to strive for. And no matter what, they are, um, well, left with this problem of if I don't do anything, then I'm literally worthless, right? Women say, if I don't do anything, then at least I'll be able to be a great mother for my kids. And, you know, that's that's the problem. This, that's why the man in this case is the representation of um, of Peter Pan, right? Of somebody who hasn't pursued their potential and is at risk of, we'll say, dying. Dying with a meaningless life. With a meaningless life and dying as someone who hasn't pursued their potential, right? So, um, okay, so now, okay, okay, so now we get into the point of what is this guy actually like? Right, what is it what is this guy actually like? He's self-interested, right? He's um He's self-interested and here here's something that we'll we'll get into a little bit later. I don't really want to go into it now, but he sees the world as tools. Here's he, here's his problem, right? You know, you have someone like this uh his name's Cogsworth, right? It's his servant who holds out a clock. And we're watching this, right? Here's here's why I say that you should view this in the perspective of Beast because of the beast because you're watching this and it's interesting how they only show his hand, right? They only show his hand because he doesn't care about what his face looks like. Here's a better representation, right? They have, this was literally in the same scene. So you have, right, he's holding out his hand here and you can see that, but his face is is dark. And that's because that's the way that the beast sees the world or the prince in this case. He sees the world, he only sees this guy as a somebody who will give him the time. He doesn't see him as a person and it shows that he's self-interested. and we'll get into that a little bit later, but that's all you need to know for now and it's the same thing with this, right he see He only sees the lamp, which ends up being Lumiere, right He only sees uh, the, the not the lamp, the, um, the candle, right the, the candlelight, as something that will show him himself that's it. And obviously he's a little bit narcissistic because he only cares about himself, but he doesn't even care about the lamp itself or the candlelight itself. So that's his problem. He's immature. He's pan, right? What happens? The female comes along, right? A feminine character, right? The old lady. And um, she offers him a rose, right? So we'll get into that. And what happens? He denies the rose, right? So let's let's go with surface level first, right? So she denies, she, she offers him a rose. This man is a prince, okay? He doesn't care about a rose because a rose has no monetary value, right? He's going to say, what will the rose do for me? And um, well, he's right. If you're looking at it from a purely economic perspective or a purely self-interest perspective, then you're going to say, what does a rose do for me? And The answer is nothing, right? It does literally nothing. So the so the lady, um, old lady, old hag, right, the way that they described her, offers him a rose, offers him essentially nothing for something in return. And he says no, right? Because he's self-interested. What does this have for me, right? And that's that's what the the clock represented too, right? He doesn't care about the person. He doesn't care about Cogsworth as a human. All he cares about is what does he do for me? And he shows me the time, right? So he's self-interested, and then she turns into, and this is from the original Beauty and the Beast, she turns into a beautiful woman, right? And then he gets on his knees and he begs. Why? Because because there's self-interest involved there, right? From a, again, service-level perspective, it says, okay, now I have this, now she's of some sort of value to me, right? Probably something like Relationships and sexual satisfaction, um, something like that, and um, and then he gets on his knees and he begs for her because he understands that he understands that she is some sort of interest to in me, and then she turns him into a beast, right? And okay, so now let's go back and let's let's understand that what that actually means, you know? So you have this old, we'll say, magical creature, right? Comes in and offers him a rose. Now you ask the question. What is a rose, you know? And the only real way that I could describe a rose is a rose is a representation of life, right? You look at something like money. Do I have money with me? I have a receipt here, right? Money and and a receipt are essentially the same thing. It's a piece of paper, right? And you ask the question, it's like, what is the meaning behind money? And you could say, only, it only has value in the material world, right? I think, and I think that's something that we completely understand, you know, you take something like that, and you say, okay, money has value in the material world, but then you step into this realm of, you know, well, maybe the spiritual world, or maybe sort of the, the meaning world, because that's really what the, this, this movie is really all about meaning, so you ask the question, it's like, will money give you meaning, and it's, the answer is like, kind of, right? Like, it will it will a little bit but it's really not going to satisfy those deeper desires that you really have you know and like your your desire for love your desire for relationships your desire for we'll say self actualization's the the general term but it's more of just you know understanding who you are you know all of these things are a representation of life you know a representation of how you should the things that will actually make your life meaningful and they exist completely outside of the material realm, the realm of money and value and things and all these. So the, the, um, the lady offers him a rose. She offers him life. And she says, you can see me as a human. Or you could see me as the old lady delivering a rose, right? That's a good way of looking at it. You could see me as a human person who has a divine value within them, right? Even though I'm ugly, right? Like, yeah, yeah. She goes, she says, even though I'm ugly, even though I have no monetary value to give you, you could still see me as something with value because i am human you know and that's something that we that we have adopted as a as a culture you know that's something that um hopefully hope well it is something that's embedded within our culture you know the the golden rule is something that is Christian as well as American. It's treat people the way you want to be treated. Why? Why do you treat people the way you want to be treated? Even if they're your enemy. Love thine enemies. Why do we say that? It's because there's something valuable within humans, you know? There's there like humanity itself gives them some sort of value and it gives them some life. You know, there's some life that resides within them and We could say that's the representation of the woman, right? The representation of the woman here is, I am not giving you anything of monetary value, yet I have some value to give you. I am human. I am offering you my humanity. And I'm asking you to recognize this rose, which is a recognition of my humanity. Will you do it? Even though it offers you no such self-interest. And he says no. Right, and that's exactly what it means. So now, um, he's. this is the perfect representation of self-interest, right? He now, we now have established that he looks at the world as only things that will give him value on on the monetary level or, or something like that, right? Give him, um, yeah, yeah, only things that will give him value, right? Then... She turns it now, right? We move into the next step. She turns into this beautiful goddess who, um, who obviously is some sort of, we'll say figure to be desired, right? And, um, and obviously now he desires her, right? Now he, he wakes up, right? He snaps out of his, he snaps out of his, we'll say self-interested, spoiled stupor. And, um... And he wakes up and, well, what is the meaning of that, right? The meaning of that is the feminine, right? And this is, this is, this is a, this is something that's going to be explored throughout this, this entire, entire movie, but this is a good place to talk about it. You know, the feminine is what makes a man conscious, it, the feminine is the thing that wakes the man up because, you know, it's the first time that he really has to get in touch with life. Whenever, you know, this this is something that you see in your... I'll, I'll take it into a, into a general, you know, um, well, you know, life, right? Like a, a real life example. You know, you see this all the time where you have men who... um who, they're they're very close, right? Obviously, you know, you, you imagine in middle school, there's like, you know, obviously like guys on one side, girls on the other side, they're completely separated. But then, and then you have your guy friends, right? And this is something that guys will really understand. You have your guy friends and, you know, you have this good representation of, okay, here are the boys, right? Here are the guys that we have. But then one guy comes along and he's probably the the most developed of all the guys and he gets a girlfriend, right? And when he gets a girlfriend, then what happens is the the group starts to break apart cuz he stops spending time with the guys as much and he starts, you know, um he starts spending more time with the girl and he starts he, he enjoys spending more time with the girl and you ask the question of why? You know, obviously there's this there's the love component, but that but that's kind of the reason, right? He finally has looked beyond the the childish, the childish nature of just hanging out with the guys and says, okay, I'm going to step into life. Now I'm going to wake up and I'm going to, well, do something that is, we'll say more integrated into the world. He's a better picture of the world. And, And then you have guys that are right. Then the guys are really pissed off about that because they're like, we just lost our friend, but you know, that's, that's really the way it is. And that's the unfortunate reality of it. It's like, you know, The way that guys act is that we we only operate on the, you know. Well only hang we'll say only hanging out with guys is is incredibly shallow because you're missing out half of life. You know, obviously there's another half of life. So there's this idea that the feminine makes a man conscious. And, you know, there's a there's a there's a strong evolutionary explanation for this. You know, you imagine something like like monkeys. And with monkeys, you know they they didn't have this this system where men come along and they get to choose men, right? Females don't choose men for sex. It's just you know um, sort of what happens is they 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 get a little red, right? Their their butt turns red, and then it says, "Okay, I'm available for sex." And then the men fight amongst each other. And then whoever wins in this fight gets to have sex with the woman and therefore has kids, you know, but the problem with that is that competence is not even a factor, right? The woman does not say, I'm going to go for the man that is the, um, that is the most intelligent, that is the most resourceful, all of these things. It's like, no, I'm going to go for the man that's the strongest because Only the men fight each other out physically, and then they go, and then they, the winner gets the, gets the girl for for humans, it's a lot different, right? Women began to select, right? For the first time ever, women began to select. And now that we have this, then what happens is you have your monkey men, right? We'll say the men that are powerful and strong and all these things essentially the ones who are gonna fight amongst themselves for the women but but that's not what's gonna get them the girl now because the game has changed the game has changed to the woman wants somebody who's resourceful competent and um, and yeah resourceful and competent and uh, and therefore right she has the ability to reject the brute strong man if he's dumb right roughly roughly speaking and therefore, the feminine therefore the man has to become conscious and therefore the the feminine somewhere then you're going through some unknown place and you imagine that that is the representation of water because in water you could drown so now you imagine that you're going from point a to point b and all that you have is a little boat and then you are you have this little tiny boat in this giant ocean of chaos, and you are surrounded by death, because all you have to do is fall off this little structure that you have, and you drown. <laughs> now imagine that these sirens are the figures that are going to lure you off your path. They're going to lure you into chaos, and they're going to kill you, right? And that is another representation of the Joker, right? That is that is like a subset. Imagine the Joker as somebody who destroys all structures. And then the sirens are the ones who destroy men through sexual nature, through their, through their sexual nature. Right. So what they, the, the goal of the sirens therefore is chaos. So the question is Odysseus, he's going through and he knows He's ready, right? He knows that he's gonna face these sirens. And he knows that if he's gonna get from one path to another, he's gonna have to go through these sirens. And that's exactly, Dante's Inferno is the same idea. You know, Dante, right? He, um, he has to get to heaven. So what does he have to do? He has to go through hell first. And that's, that's a really, really strong idea, right? Because that's exactly what happens in your life, right? You, you try to achieve a goal. You have to go through hell to get to your goal. Now, Odysseus is essentially going through hell. He's going to have to encounter this beast of pleasure, this beast of the siren. And the question is, what did they do about it? So their solution that they came up with, and I think, I think this is somewhat ingenious. So the sirens, what do they do? They lure you with their song, right? They're, they sing to you, and hopefully they, they pull you off their course, and you jump off the boat and you go there. So what did Odysseus do? he made all of his crew, everyone in his crew, he made them cover their ears. He said, hey, listen, you guys can't handle this. I'm the hero here. I'm the captain. I'm going to be the one to endure. And you can imagine those, the crew is the representation of these two people, right? Ramirez and the guard who, who just couldn't handle it, who just weren't strong enough to handle the Joker. Actually, it's also another, the, the, the fake Batman that, um, that got hung, right? These are just the people who can't handle the Joker. What do they do about it? They're just not strong enough, and they just don't do it. Uh, so they cover their ears. But Odysseus, Odysseus still has to navigate. So, so what did Odysseus do before they encountered the sirens? He made his crew tie him to the, um, to the boat. So literally strap him down with rope. And tie him down so that he cannot leave. And, and that's what they did. So, But he didn't cover his ears, right? Think about that. He didn't cover his ears. So his goal was, like Bruce Wayne, to endure, right? Alfred tells Bruce Wayne, endure Master Wayne. And that's exactly what um, what Odysseus must do. He must go through this treacherous land, right he must still make progress right cuz they still must make it through but he's not going to try anything crazy he's literally just going to endure and that's that was their solution and it was successful right exactly what they did was they said okay for the people who can't handle it don't handle it for the people who can handle it all you have to do is just stick it through just just try to stick it through and that's that's batman's solution the question is why, right? And this is, this is the fundamental question. Well, it, it, it begs the question, why do we have the Joker in the first place, right? You know, here's the hope, right? Let, let me give you the ideal world and then we'll we'll explain. We'll, we'll try to figure out why the ideal world doesn't exist. In the ideal world, you say you're going to go on a diet. So you say you're going to go on a diet And you say, okay, I'm gonna start eating some more kale, right? Whatever. We won't say kale. We'll say chicken, right? We'll 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 go with the regular example. So you say you're gonna start eating some more chicken instead of we'll say fried chicken, right? Grilled chicken instead of fried chicken. You say you're gonna eat it, and then you just make the change. You just implement it. You say I'm gonna eat more chicken, more grilled chicken, and then what do you do? You eat more grilled chicken. You never have any impulses to go and eat more fried chicken. You never feel this, this sense of relapse. You just create a plan and then you follow it. Super simple, right? But the problem here is not creating the plan. We could always create a plan. You know, I could always say tomorrow I'm going to work 14 hours a day. I'm going to work out. I'm going to, I'm going to read for six hours. I'm going to learn, you know, I'm going to do all these amazing things, but executing the plan is, you know, (laughs) that's, that's the hardest part. And that's the part that we haven't really figured out as humans yet. So the question is why, why do we, why is, why do we fail? And why do we just eventually say, screw it, I'm not going to do it. Why is it on average, January 12th is the day that most people just give up on their new year's resolution. You know, why does this happen? Why is our world not perfect? And the answer relies on something like willpower. Right, we have this function of willpower. We have this function of Jung would call it the ego. Right, Carl Jung. He um, he says we have this we have this ego that exists, and you could say, well, they're they're almost anonymous. So you have this rash. You have the the part of you that plans. That that's a good way of looking at it. The ego is essentially like the part of you that plans, and also the part of you that acts. Just, oops, one second. Okay. So you have the ego, you have the part of you, it's the part of you that plans and the part of you that acts willfully. That's a good way of saying it because you think about it, right? You spend three hours, um, you spend three hours watching TV and you ask, you know, often we ask, wait a second, I really didn't want to do that. Like there wasn't, I wanted to do that, but it wasn't, it wasn't the part of me that wanted to do it. You know, you know, that sort of. I I didn't willfully act. I didn't willfully do that. There was a different part of me that wanted to do it. So that's your animalistic part of you acting. But you think of your ego as the thing that acts willfully. So now you say, okay, we have this ego, right? This ego exists. What is its function? What does it do? And Carl Jung says, it has one function. It has one primary function. And that function is willpower. Whenever you have an animalistic impulse going against a, um, an animalistic impulse, going against your ego, going against willpower, your willpower is going to be the thing that fights and your willpower is going to be the thing that overcomes the animalistic impulse. And th- this is something that we know, right? You try to, you try to take a, a child, right? A child is extremely undisciplined right? And since they're incredibly undisciplined, what do you have to do? You have to try to make them act willfully in a manner that is against their impulses, against their, we'll say, impulse to play, impulse to be aggressive, impulse to fight, you know, all these impulse to be angry, right? That's the terrible twos. You have to do, you have to make them fight their animal impulses and hopefully win out, right? Hopefully win out. Now, That's the function of willpower. The only problem with willpower is that it is so finite. It doesn't – it doesn't – it's not infinite. Like we can't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to go to the gym. And then you can't just will your way through it, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's why after – that's why for about the first week, right, things are going really well. That's why in the beginning, the grilled chicken is – It just goes down like it's really not that that much of a problem. But then after a while, it just, you know, the chicken gets old and getting going to the gym gets tough and you really don't want to get up early and you really don't want to get up. You know, all these all these problems are happening. It's because your ego, your willpower is depleting. And well, that's the fundamental problem that we have. You know, the fundamental problem is we have this structure of the ego, but it's so bad Like we're so bad at being able to let it, let it move on throughout. And that's why people like Moana, uh, the story of Moana says, maybe you shouldn't even fight it. Maybe one of the solutions is don't even fight it. Just sort of work with your animalistic impulses and, and manifest them in a better way. Instead of, instead of using your ego to fight it, Batman says, but wait a second, even though even if you do that even if you try to work with your impulses you're still going to have to go through this this phase of willpower you're still going to have to try to willpower your way past the joker because you're going to have to fight your impulses and um and that's the meaning behind endure that's what batman does in this movie he says okay you, you notice that at the end of the movie, Batman fails, right? Harvey Dent turns into a bad guy, right? Rachel dies. Um, everybody tells lies to each other, you know. Right. That was when Alfred hides the hides the letter from from Bruce Wayne, and also you know he he um, he sacrifices his principles by um, by spying on everyone in the city. Right. Batman fails in this movie, but he endured. Right? He kept he kept some he kept most of his relevant principles and he didn't he didn't give in to the Joker's demands, right? He didn't give into his animalistic impulses. And that's all that we care about. That's exactly what the meaning behind Odysseus tying himself to the boat is. It's like he didn't achieve any progress. He didn't get any further than he was before. Or maybe a little bit further, right? He got past... he. The only thing that he did, right? The only thing that Odysseus did was get past the sirens. That's it. The only thing that Batman does in this movie is move past the Joker. He just endures. And that's the equivalent of, of Odysseus tying himself to the boat and just handling it. You know, there's this book that I read. Um, it's by Seth Godin. I actually have it right here. It's one of, it's one of my favorite books. It's called The Dip. And w- what it says is, you know... You gonna imagine in the beginning, whenever you try to achieve a goal, you have this instant spurt of motivation, right? And it feels good. Like it really does. It feels good to say, I'm going to start going to the gym. It feels really good to say, I'm going to achieve, I'm going to, I'm going to improve myself and I'm going to, I'm going to achieve a goal. And that's your ego talking. That's your willpower, right? That's, that's you consciously creating a plan now the problem is your willpower depletes your ego depletes and this is actually a psychological concept called ego depletion and um and then you're stuck in this this idea called the dip and that's exactly that's the representation of the joker seth godin's advice right obviously he wrote a whole book on it his advice is to is to lean into the dip that's what he says he says the goal is to literally well, first of all, he gives a bunch of strategies to endure. You know, one, one of the strategies that I use that's really, really successful is I use this idea of streaks. So, for example, I wanted to do this lecture series and I want to do it every single day. You know, so, so I said I'm going to do it for I'm going to put an X every single day that I do it. And after about five days, I have five X's there in my, in my little journal and I say, wow, this feels really good. I've done it for five days in a row. And then you say, wait a second, I really don't want to break this streak. You know, that's the concept of Snapchat streaks. You say, I really don't want to break this streak. It feels really good to say that I've done this for five days in a row. And I was able to do it for, I think, 60 days in a row. Something like that for the lectures. So, you know, what is that strategy? That strategy that I use that's not a. That's not a working with the unconscious. That's not a um, a crazy, you know, progressive strategy that pushes me into the stratosphere. That's just some way to endure the the struggle of going through. We'll say maybe day seven to day twenty one. Because those, those days are tough. Those days are not easy. And every single time I try to establish a goal, I know that day seven to day 21 are gonna be the most difficult. And all I have to do is endure. All I have to do, I don't have to do an amazing lecture. It doesn't have to be the greatest lecture in my life. I could even take the lecture and just throw it out and say, this wasn't that good. All I have to do is push through day seven to 21. And then by the time that I hit 21 or 28 or something like that, it's going to be better and I've made it through this crappy part. That's the idea of the endure. So it says, okay, and and this is this is the this is the fundamental principle. So you establish a goal, you establish a principle. There is some force that's acting within you to say, is this principle really worth it? Are you really going to push through and are you really do you really want to go against your animalistic impulses? Because think about it nature is really conservative, evolution is really conservative. Anytime you break against your animal impulses, you're taking a risk. So, this is your nature. Whenever this dip, right, is your nature. This Joker character is your nature saying, wait a second, do you really, really want to do this? Do you really, really want to establish this plan? and then the joker is going to do every single thing that he possibly can to try to break apart that plan and well what is what is the answer therefore stick to the principle if you really want to do it stick to the principle and endure don't try to do anything crazy just endure and this is one of the this is one of the fundamental principles that I've that I've learned over over my life you know I've 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 found that Whenever I try to do a goal, right? Some sort of big goal. So let's say establishing this lecture series, you know, actually, no, we'll we'll make it a relevant example. So start reading, right? When I really wanted to start reading, if it required willpower, that was my principle. If it required willpower, I'm only going to work on one thing at a time because, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to fix my sleep schedule. I wanted to establish a uh, schedule. reading habit, I want to start a lecture series, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do like four different things. But I said, no, 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 because I've learned over the past, this is this is just through my personal experience, I've learned that if I try to do three things, I'm going to end up with zero. But if I try to do one, and I really, really stick through it, then all my willpower, all my ego is going to be devoted to that one thing. And I can endure, I could, I could, I could do that, that's something I could handle. But I, I can't do three. I just physically can't do 3. For the people who can do 3, good for you, but I just can't. So and that's that's the idea in Moana, right? So so this is this is the integration of the two ideas, and this is why I think this is the perfect way of handling, we'll say goals in general, right? So Moana would tell me, "Don't do 3, do 1." Because if you're working with 3, then you're fighting your animalistic impulses. Too much, you just—you're causing too much of a revolution here. That your ego, that your willpower, which is the representation of this little um, Maui figure, right? This little hero, just can't handle. It just can't do it. Um, but then, but then, once you bring it down to the easiest thing possible, you get one goal that's really important to you that you could devote all your willpower to. Then you must endure then this is what Batman would say, says, you just, you know, you got to use your willpower, you got to use your ego to really push through and, and stick to your principles. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, please subscribe to go through this movie and see the trials and tribulations, the the difficult parts, you know, the the challenging struggles, and not think that there's going to be some way that she comes out of it, right? Of course, we're going to say, we're we're asking the question in her brain, we're going to be asking, how is she going to make it her way out of this? We're not going to ask if she's going to make her way out of this, right? In all of the down points, so for example, you know, she gets railed by this boat. This boat literally hits her, you know, on the face. And um and she gets in this terrible struggle. We do not ask if she's going to explore again. We just ask how is she going to be able to summon up the courage to explore again? And that's the underestimation of the <clears throat> that's the underestimation of the amount of willpower, courage and strength an adventurousness that's about right that it actually takes to go and explore right because we don't need to see her summon up the courage we just need to see well we don't need to see how difficult it is for her to summon up the courage we just need to see whether we just need to see what it takes for her to summon up the courage and um well that's a big problem that's a big problem that what a when it comes to real life, because when, when it comes to real life, we look at these hero stories and then we look at our real life and then we say, God, it's a lot harder. Like Moana made it look a lot easier than it actually was. And that's, that's our relative naivety. So let's get back to it. We find that, well, Moana was incredibly naive, right? She's incredibly naive and maybe, you know, and she looks at this journey with, with hope. And well, that's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing she finds out that, um, well, she goes into, well, part of, part of what she can do now is now that she knows about her past, right? Here's it. here's essentially now we're moving on to a different topic. She looks at her past and she says, um, Ooh, Ooh, here is, okay. Here's a great place. Here's a great topic that I, that I wish to end it on. So she learns about her past and, um, she finds out, you know, it's great, right? It's great that that um, that she could summon up the, the people of her past. But the thing that I really wanted to hammer down and I really wanted to um, to talk about is the question, because this, this is the question that I've explored every single time I watch this movie, and I, I don't know the answer yet. You must ask the question, you look at these adventurers, right, the adventurers of the past, and they were happy, right? They they were exploring, they were conquering new lands, or conquering is the wrong word, just they, they would make friends with the people on the island. So they would like, you know, they would going further into the world and understanding more about the worlds and therefore themselves. And um and you could say they were there wasn't too much strife or problems, right? And they were living a meaningful life. Now, the question is, is, or what is the goal of life? What is the goal of life more generally? If you say you're satisfying, we'll say those five needs, right? Like, you know, not too much, not too many problems, exploring, um, you know, and a few others, right? Then is that, is that the goal? It doesn't, it doesn't seem obvious to me that the goal of life is to keep exploring and it doesn't seem obvious to me exactly what is so great about the explorers, right? Like what's so great about the fact that they went and went to different islands, made friends with the islands and lived in the water. Like it doesn't seem obvious to me and I don't know exactly how to extract that. One thing that I learned from Tony Robbins that um that has baffled me, he says the goal of life is to live in a quote beautiful state. He says that the goal of life is to live in a in a state by state I mean like emotional state, where you're constantly, we'll say at like an eight, right? At an eight out of ten, and then you have some beautiful moments where you should spike to a ten. Right, where you spike from an eight to a ten, and then you go back down to an eight. Then you keep going. You fluctuate between the eight and the ten, and then even if you go down to a six, then you can work through it, figure it out, and then you you you're constantly sitting at an eight, as opposed to somebody who's most likely depressed, who's sitting at a one. Right. That seems shallow to me. That's the problem. Right. He says the goal of life is to live in a in an emotional state where you're at an eight, but. That doesn't sound meaningful, right? I, I read this book. It was called, well, it's a very popular book. It's called Brave New World. And in Brave New World, they emphasize the phrase, ignorance is bliss. And um, and they just give people essentially drugs, right? Like these pretty good drugs to just make them always feel at an eight, essentially. More like a 10. It's like they're always living at a 10. and um, And they never, it never goes down. Like they're always happy, but they're always ignorant. And it's the same thing in Fahrenheit 451, same same idea. And um, living in a beautiful state, therefore, living at an eight doesn't seem like it's enough for me. And it sounds like the goal of life, if we were to put together the two pieces, which... I mean, I'm, I'm formulating an entire theory about the world here, which could be wrong but it seems to me that the goal of life is a combination of living in a beautiful state and satisfying the meaning drives that exist within you because that's exactly what they're doing here they're living in a beautiful state they're they're adventuring and they're doing these amazing things but they're also doing things that are meaningful right they're expanding their knowledge and, um, and learning more about the world and learning more about themselves and always pursuing goals and always having meaning in their lives. And to me, it seems like that is the goal of life. And you could, you could, well, the problem is, you know, those meaning drives are always different for all these different people. And, um, and living in a beautiful state, it's easier said than done, right? Like, someone who's depressed, you can't just say, don't be depressed. So there's a lot of flaws that come in with this theory, but it seems like those are the two things. If you're you're thinking about how to live a meaningful life and what's the best thing to do to get that, see how you could satisfy the exploratory and meaning drives that exist within you, right? And part of that has to do with love, right? Like it's meaningful to have meaningful relationships and relationships of love, not only in, you know, like intimate relationships, but as well as just regular relationships and also to live in a beautiful state. But we'll see how those relate to your life. That's that's the part that I'm going to end it on here. And um, well, we'll move on to part four when we learn a little bit more about Tikha. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you liked it, please subscribe.